Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. And hello everybody, welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. I am your host, Jay Madison. Glad to have you tuning in to the show today because we have a great show. I have the one and only Danny Baker. She is a partner with her significant other, uh, Dave Belding, up at Cross Island Farms on Wellesley Island. And if you're not from the area, that is in the beautiful Thousand Islands region of northern New York. They're surrounded by the St. Lawrence River, which is really cool. But before we get to talking uh, with Danny, I want to uh, just promote a great grant program that we're offering here in Jefferson County. It is the Jefferson County Local Foods Resiliency Grant. We just opened the application timeline. You can start making applications now. All you need to do is go to www.agricultureevents.com. That's agricultureevents.com. And uh, you'll see that there's information on the grant program uh, right on there. And you can actually fill out an online form and just click the submit button. And that will pop up on my computer and say, you have a grant. Um, So it is a competitive program. Uh, you you will be competing you know in three different sectors that I'm going to go over here in a second, but it is competitive, so not everybody's going to get an award. That's the way it works. We're going to select the best ones, but we call it the Local Foods Resiliency Grant because during the height of the pandemic and even right now, we saw that there were problems with our food supply. You know, we had people waiting in line. Uh, for food distribution events. We had supermarkets that had bare shelves, and we still do for that part. So what what happened during the, the height of the pandemic is people started buying more and more local food, which is great. We wished it would happen all the time. It helped meet some of the needs that weren't being met at the supermarkets. So what we're doing is we're using some of the the money that's been made available to assist with recovery from the pandemic. We're putting that towards actually helping local food producers grow their operations. Now, this is going to be divided up into three sectors. One is for meat processing. Huge need here in northern New York, actually across all of New York State. If there's local food processors here in Jefferson County and they want to grow their operation uh, or possibly grow it into a USDA certified operation, that would be awesome. Uh, We have $150,000 set aside to award grants up to $50,000 in that category. So that's a meat processing uh, sector. The second sector is on-farm dairy processing. So if you have a dairy farm and you're making cheese curd or you're bottling your milk to sell or something like that where you're doing direct consumer sales or you're selling it to a supermarket directly, you can apply for up to $50,000 to assist you in growing that operation. Then the third sector is the other local food sector. And that could be if you have a vegetable operation and you want to buy some equipment to help you wash and do some processing of that, of those vegetables or fruit or whatever, uh, you could uh, 
apply for up to $10,000 to do that. Or if you have a value-added food product like a pasta sauce and you want to do UPC labeling, let's say you're not doing the UPC labeling on it yet, uh, you could apply for that $10,000 to do that. Now, remember, it's a limited amount of money in total, uh, and there will be some people that won't be successful this time. We're hoping to be able to do it again. So again, if you're interested in more information on that program, just go to www.agricultureevents.com. That's agricultureevents.com. You can check out all the information. You'll get my phone number. You'll get Cornell Cooperative Extension's phone number. We're partnering with them on this. And uh, we want you to apply. We want to make sure this money goes out to help grow our local food supplies. So check that out. And, uh, you know, if you're interested, send us your application. So anyways, Danny Baker, how's that sound? That's the first time you're hearing about it this. It is. When did this begin? Uh, actually, today. Whoa. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, I'm interviewing today, uh, Aunt Danny today. It's Wednesday. Not sure when I'll get done editing and actually get the show loaded up. But uh, today is the first day for receiving applications. So, And the deadline for it is April 15th. So glad you asked that question. April 15th will be the last day to apply. So what do you think? You think that's a, a valuable program? Uh, yeah, what's the match? Uh, there's no match required. Yeah. <laughs> Danny's giving me deer in the headlights. Look, yeah, I, there's no match requirement. We don't want to p- put people that might have a really good project uh, you know, to do, uh, but might not have all of the funds they need. So we're saying if it's a really good project, you don't necessarily have to have a match. Now, when we evaluate uh, the projects that come in and they can show, demonstrate matching funds, they're going to rank higher for the most part than somebody that doesn't put any of their money towards the project. But the important thing for us is making sure we grow our local food supply. That's the most critical thing we're interested in. So pretty interesting. We'll, yeah. we'll see how it, I have to administer all these. So. <laughs> It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, so, uh, folks, we're, we're talking with Danny Baker. Uh, her and her significant other, Dave Belding, are owners of Cross Island Farms up on Wellesley Island. If you've never been there, it's a really, really great operation. They're surrounded by the Thousand Islands and the St. Lawrence River. So it's just a really neat place to go anyways. Uh, Danny, tell us a little bit more about the farm. Well, it's... It- uh, we started it in 2006. It's certified organic. It's very diversified. We we raise vegetables. We raise beef cattle, uh, goats for meat, some fowl. We have uh, hogs now. Uh, and in seven years into the farm, I started creating the Enchanted Edible Forest, which is a permaculture-inspired uh, planting of edible fruits, nuts, berries, herbs, um, it's on an acre, and uh, we have UPIC uh, in season there, and we do events. We also give tours of our farm. We have some campsites on the farm. You just you you you're very diverse. Yes, we are. All certified organic. Yes, everything, including okay. the edible forest. Yes. Yeah, and I've had the opportunity to do a tour, and it's really cool, folks. If you've never been up there and you want to learn about an edible forest, I highly recommend the tour with Danny because it is just. 
it's so cool. I, I own 20 acres of forest and I was just enjoying it so much because I don't have, well, there's edible things out there, but I, I don't purposely have an edible forest yet. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks for the compliment. <laughs> so it's really cool. Now, um, when did you start the edible forest? It was 2012. I, I, I never heard the word permaculture before, and I happened to take a two-hour class at Cooperative Extension locally. And when uh, uh, Steve Gabriel from Cornell talked about the ideas, it just made, it was like a revelation. It made so much sense that before the two hours was up, I decided I was going to plant an, an edible <laughs> forest. And I went home, I told my partner, Dave, I said, we need a fence because we've got to keep the deer out. Right, right. Um, and his animals, <laughs> the goats and the cows. So he built me a great fence and uh, I thought I was going to start planting right away. But when I looked into it, I realized I had to do so much research and planning before I was ready to plant that it took me a year before I actually dug holes and put trees in the ground. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, but you know, that's so smart. And so many people don't think about that, that, you know, if you're going to do things like this, you really need to have a plan going into it. So did you have a good resource guide, one guy that you could refer to to help you do this? Well, I had several books that I, I read and reread and reread that helped me plan. Um, one of the most prominent ones is one by uh, Martin Crawford out okay. of England. Okay. And then uh, there's a one that was... Uh, I call this my Bible. It's a two-volume tome by uh, David Jackie that also had some super important information for me to help me do it. And also catalogs. Right. I mean, uh, nursery catalogs of, of, of perennial plants are often very helpful with a lot of good information. So they provided you a lot of the, the particular information about the plants. The plants. And, and you know, I hadn't heard of probably 90% of the plants I ended up planting. Oh, really? But if they looked like I might be able to grow them, <laughs> I bought some. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yep. So is that what, you, and the reason we're interviewing Danny today is because she is now an author, which I just find to be so awesome. Uh, she is an author. She's in the process of publishing right now a book, The Homescale Forest Garden, How to Plan, Plant, and Tend a Resilient Edible Forest. And edible landscape. It, yes, I'm sorry. Edible <laughs> landscape, which, you know, it really, folks, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you think, well, I don't have an acre of forest land, I have a half acre of backyard, that could become an edible landscape, correct? Absolutely. Is that what the book helps people do? Yes, it does. It, 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 it offers all kinds of information, very practical tips to people who are interested in landscaping with edible plants. I mean, you can landscape with just decorative plants. With stuff. But why don't you put in something you can eat that looks just as nice? I'm all for that. <laughs> if I can walk around the yard and nibble, I'm good. I don't have to go back to the refrigerator. <laughs> So with the book, what was, I mean, the, to me, the purpose is obvious, but maybe not. It, what was the real reason that drove you to write the book? Well, I really enjoy giving tours of my garden and inspiring people to try their hand at planting edibles and, and using the permaculture principles. And what that means is you're building in other plants that supply all the needs of the fruit 
or the food-bearing plants. So you don't have to put fertilizer in. You don't have to use herbicides or pesticides, anything. Does it eliminate weeding? Eventually. <laughs> no, because your ground is covered with something growing. And so if you have plants growing on your ground, there's not much room for weeds to take root. So See, it, it I need you to come it. to my house, it does. I would love to. <laughs> uh, you, you'll be my first consulting client. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because that is my downfall is having to weed. I mean, it, my, my time just, I seem yeah. to never make the time. And so my flower beds gets kind of... <laughs> You can't tell there's flowers in them. Mm -hmm. um, no, so. I understand that. Um, this planting models itself self after nature. Now, in nature, there's almost never bare ground. Right. 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 There's something covering that ground. It's either a thick mulch in a deep forest, pine needles or leaves, leaves that are on or the whatever. ground, yep. or in a meadow. It's covered with wildflowers and grasses. I mean, there's barely, there's almost never bare ground. So you, this planting, you cover your ground with edibles. You cover it with ground covers and herbaceous plants. And if you have uh, a very uh, dense tree that shades the ground, not much is going to grow under there. Right, right. Ex um, except for shade-loving plants that you choose. So with the ground covered, there's... I, I, I don't mean, have to weed. You have to weed to establish, clearly. Okay. But once... All of these layers, and you're gonna, you can build up as many as high as you have room. You can go, you can have full-grown trees to 100 feet tall. You can have understory trees, maybe 10 to 30 feet tall, and then shrubs and herbaceous plants, root plants, all of this. Huh? Well, you know, it is so neat to listen to you talk about this because you know I instantly am drawn back to my little 20-acre patch out there in Lorraine, New York. And I have a variety of different habitats. I have my big open lawn, and I like big open lawn. I just love that big expanse of mm -hmm. open lawn that I can enjoy. But then I also have a little pine plantation. You know, the trees are somewhat mature down at the edge of the lawn. And then down behind the house, I've got where, you know, probably some kind of conservation program way back when they uh, put in a plantation of scotch or, you know, whatever type of pine. And then you go down into the Lorraine Gulf. In there, I've got, you know, old hardwoods down in there mm. that's, you know, it's been a long time since it's been disturbed. And I just love it. I love going down in there. And like you said, uh, you know, the, the forest floor, it's not bare. I mean, there's probably four or five inches of leaves at any given time there. So you don't have to weed the forest floor, which is good. Um, and then up above, I've got a, what was an open farm field when we moved mm -hmm. in, and we've just let it grow back. And there's oak and sumac and some elm, well, not elm, but ash trees, mm -hmm. trees, different types of ash coming in. And it's just cool to see that forest succession coming in and the different types of wildlife that will use it over time. It's so neat. So with the book, um, I was extremely impressed with the book. Number one, I'm the type of person I like to read books with essays and, you know, pieces of information. And your book is full of that. You tell your stories of your experiences growing your, your edible landscape. Why? Why did you do that? Right. You asked me that before. And yeah. the reason I wrote the book was because I enjoy inspiring people to do what I've done. And this will just reach a much broader audience yeah. than 
just people coming to the garden and having tours. Yeah, I was worried when, when you told me about the book, I'll admit, I was worried because, not because of you, but because so many publications of, you know, on agriculture especially, can be very technical, boring, god-awful to read. Just putting mm -hmm. it honestly out there. Yours isn't. Yours tells the stories of your experiences. Right, good and bad. <laughs> I admit yeah. all my mistakes in this book. Well, you know, it's it's better to learn from the mistakes. I mean, if all you do is tell the things that went perfectly, somebody's going into it with the wrong idea. Right. right. So it's it's important to be honest about these things. But then, in addition to the stories, you do provide the technical information on what to do. Tell us a little bit about how you developed all that. Well, I've been a, a gardener since I was a child. Uh, my parents, when I was six years old, my parents bought a, a brand new house on what had a half acre of land that used to be a cornfield. So there was nothing but sod. And I got the job of creating all the flower beds, the vegetable garden, digging the holes for all the trees that we landscape with. And I did this for years until we moved. When I entered 10th grade, we moved from that house to another one. And that was the end of my formative gardening experience. But I basically self-taught huh? through yeah. observation. And that's a really important skill. Anytime when you plant a perennial garden, any kind of garden, the more you observe and learn from your observation, the better gardener you're going to, be, you're going to become. So pretty much self-taught. And then in my adulthood, anytime I had a little plot of land I could do something with, I usually had a few vegetables and maybe some annual flowers. But this is the first time I've really delved into a perennial edible planting. Mm -hmm. So it was all new to me. Yeah, it's, it's neat. Uh, so as you look at the book, mm -hmm. what is your favorite section of the book? I know you're going to say the whole book's my favorite thing because I spent so much time. Uh, but really, what what's your favorite part? Well, I, the first thing that comes to mind is the, the beginning of the first chapter, which I wrote at the end. But it basically tells you why you'd want to do this. Why would you want to plant this kind of planting rather than a vegetable garden or a, a row of fruit of uh, an orchard or a row of berry bushes? And it's because nature does the work. <laughs> <laughs> nature I love that. Nature does the work. I, I love it. And, and just to remind folks, we're talking with Danny Baker. She is a organic farmer from... Wellesley Island, up in the Thousand Islands region here in northern New York, the St. Lawrence River. And we're discussing her brand new book, The Homescale Forest Garden, How to Plan, Plant, and Tend a Resilient Edible Landscape. Not just forest, but landscape, right. which is important to remember. First of all, we might have some folks listening right now. They're saying, how do I get the book? So let's mm -hmm. make sure we cover that right okay. now. Well, right now, it's, it's officially going to be published on May 20th. But okay. right now, which is before then, okay. you can pre-order it on Amazon or um, Chelsea Green, which is the publisher, okay. has, it, has it listed now for pre-order. Barnes & Noble, the consortium of local bookstores, you can pre-order it through that. So, so you can pre-order through Amazon, Chelsea Green, who's mm -hmm. the publisher. Right. Barnes & Noble. Right. Well, that's cool. Any and, place else? And a consortium of local bookstores. I believe there's a consortium. that. Okay. Um, on my website, theenchantededibleforest.com, 
the second page has all of these options and you can pre-order it through in any of these places through that website. So what was the website again? EnchantedEdibleForest.com. EnchantedEdibleForest.com. And eventually, um, you'll be able to order directly from me on the forum once it's published and I have copies. And I believe I'm planning to list it on eBay as well. So if you live at a distance, you can order it there and I'll mail it to you. Cool. And those will be signed copies. Oh, hmm. I think I know somebody who would love a signed copy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm willing to pay for it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, So... The other part that I really enjoyed about the book, folks, is at the uh, towards the end mm-hmm. of the book, and this kind of surprised me. You, I mean, you basically have a library of information about all of these different types of plants that you could plant as part of an edible landscape, like pawpaw. Right. And, you know, and that surprised me when I went out and did the tour uh, of your edible forest and saw you have pawpaw there. That's right. That surprised me. I didn't think we could grow pawpaw up here. Very borderline. Yeah. But I, I'm pushing the envelope. Um, well, that's okay. On, as I, long as you spend the money to do it. That's right. I took chances <laughs> on a lot of plants that might not survive in in we're in zone four we're up pretty far north we're just a stone's throw from canada yeah literally for your canadian listeners uh yeah so um and some of them have not survived and i write about that yeah you know so but the book is not limited to people in cold climates most of the ideas in the book can be applied anywhere the, the humid southeast of the states over in Europe and England, anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, somebody like that, let's say there's a listener right now down in the southeastern United States. Some of the plants that you list in the book mm-hmm. might not be suitable for that hot climate. That's right. But they could do that research on the side, just like you did. That's right. Exactly. And you encourage people to experiment with what they're planting. Absolutely. Because, you know, this is this is not an annual planting where you clean up your garden at the end of the season and start planting again next year. These plants are going to be there for a long, long time. And they they develop a life of their own. And they grow and change as as time goes on. I forgot your question, but, <laughs> but um, it's, 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 the whole thing is an experiment. Yeah, no, and it's a great experiment. And the book is so fantastic. I just, I love the book. Folks, I'm, I, you know, I've done a lot of reading over the years and, you know, with being in wildlife biology, I've done a, a lot of uh, ecosystem uh, reading mm-hmm. and I, I just, you know, this I, I highly recommend it. I when when Danny asked me to take a look at the book and possibly come on the podcast, I was excited but nervous because, like I said, I wasn't sure how technical it would be, and uh, I was very pleased that it came out to be something that was enjoyable to read. You you I mean, you can feel Danny's experiences in her farm on her farm and in that forest through reading the book and that when an author can accomplish that especially in something that is intended to be a technical reference Mm -hmm. um you know you've really accomplished a lot thank you 
So what are your Can I say something about that? You can say anything you you want as long as it's not negative. Your experience, (laughs) you know, in ecology. Well, uh, just to let your listeners know, in the book I tell you, I talk about ways you can attract beneficial um, animals and insects into your garden to to control your pests. So including birds. Yeah. Well, you you are building, even in a, a regular vegetable garden or a regular flower garden, um, you are building an ecosystem, maybe not as healthy as this type of mm-hmm. uh, landscape, but you still are building that ecosystem, and that's important to remember for anybody that's listening. Whether you're the you know the dairy farmers farming a thousand acres or the person with one acre trying to figure out what to do with their backyard, you have to look at things from an ecosystem uh, view. You have to consider all of the living systems on that land and how to manage it. And, and that's what you're doing in, in an incredible uh, sense uh, with this. And again, it doesn't have to be a 20-acre parcel. No, it can be, it can be one, a foundation planting on one side of your house, or it can be one tree surrounded by other plants in your front or backyard. Yeah. Or, or a hedge that, that screens your view of your neighbor's property. So, Danny, what have we missed so far in our conversation? Because sometimes I get mm-hmm. long-winded and I go yeah. off on these tangents. <laughs> You're used to me. Well, um, you know, the introduction, the, there's this middle section of the book gives you numerous plants to choose from and describes right. them in right. my experience with them, which should be helpful to you. Yeah. Knowing the ins and outs of each type of plant. But then the last two chapters t- really talk about how to group plants in supportive, in ways that they help each other and they... Uh, ecosystem. Exactly, exactly. And that's very experimental, but I give you all kinds of different um, groupings as, as examples for you to, to kind of branch out from and figure out what to do in your own space. I also offer four different vignettes from people who've come to my garden, seen it, and then did their own planting in oh. their backyard or side yard. And so these are just normal people who've experimented with it and give you, you know, can show you that anybody can do this. Huh. You know, that I, I, I did not catch those when I was looking through the book. I apologize for chapter that. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. I didn't get the chapter 13. <laughs> I, I figured that out. Well, you know, I, I, I got so wound up in the first two chapters, and then, you know, then all of the information about the different plants, because I really enjoyed that, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's stuff that, you know, that kind of information I take, I digest it, and then I use it when I'm doing programs, for example, with Boy Scouts, Cub Mm. Scouts, whatever, you know, that's information that I then, when I'm doing, uh, for example, I do a lot of training for adult leaders on how to take scouts out into the woods and talk to them about Mm. nature and what they're seeing. So it's that kind of information that's very helpful for me. And so I spend a lot of time going through that kind of information in your book as an example. I'm so. glad. <laughs> it's a great, re- like I said to you, it's a great reference and very appreciated. So again, tell our listeners again how to find the book. Oh, uh, okay. So you can purchase it online through Amazon, through Chelsea Green, the publisher, through Barnes & Noble, through a consortium of, of, of small bookstores, um, and eventually probably starting in May on eBay. 
okay. from me directly. Okay. Um, and Or you can make an appointment to come to the farm and get a tour and buy it from me. <laughs> <laughs> and if somebody wanted to do that, how mm-hmm. would they make, How would they get in contact with you? Um, you can go to uh, the Enchanted Edible Forest website. There's a phone number and email address. Okay, that's the Enchanted Edible Forest Dot com. Dot com. EnchantedEdibleForest.com. That's the website. And they can reach you through that. That's right. Perfect. Perfect. Well, folks, like I said, if you if you have not been to the Thousand Islands to start with, you should go there. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And then when you're in the Thousand Islands region, plan to spend some time over at uh, Cross Island Farms. Uh, right there on Wellesley Island, just outside the main gate of Wellesley, Wellesley Island State Park. You're in the beautiful Thousand Islands region. You're surrounded by the St. Lawrence River. It's an absolutely gorgeous place. Absolutely gorgeous. Danny, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate you coming in and sharing all of this great information. Thank you. All right, folks, that's a wrap for this podcast. Thank you for joining Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.